A word of prayer to begin. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts be pleasing in your sight, Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Finding your way around a busy city center can be a trying experience, especially if you're a visitor. And often when I'm out and about, I see people looking quite disoriented, if not entirely lost on occasion, wanting to do them a good turn. I've stopped alongside someone and asked, where are you looking to get to? I've got a fairly reliable sense of orientation. I know how to get to most places in W1 on foot, so we'll happily share a few simple directions to get them to their destination. Recently, I did this for a shopper on Oxford Street. Where are you looking to get to? I asked. Sports Direct, she said. Easy, I thought. We were standing towards uh, one end of Oxford Street. I confidently sent this shopper off on a long trek to the other end. You can't miss it there on your left. Satisfied with my good deed, I turned and went on my way. Uh, But I didn't get far before glancing up and seeing there on my left, Sports Direct. (laughs) Somehow, somehow, I was the disoriented one. And by my words, I led that poor shopper astray. (laughs) Not many of you should become teachers, James tells us here. In verse 1, he's writing this, having noticed something troubling in the churches for which he has oversight. The teachers, instead of humbling themselves to serve, are sitting in judgment upon those in their care. If you are making use of this uh, James booklet, as you read through this letter, why not highlight the word judge, judges, or judgment each time it appears? Those words are peppered all the way through. And this theme perhaps brings us to the key purpose of this letter. When James listens to the preaching in Jerusalem and Judea, to the words coming from his fellow teachers' mouths, there's something that hasn't escaped him. Those words were not like the words that come from Jesus' mouth. Anyone with siblings... There's surely been times when you've marveled at your brother or sister's way with words put to whatever end. James must have marveled all the more growing up under the same roof as his older brother, Jesus. 
In Jesus, James saw one who had a way with words unparalleled by anyone before or since. Not simply his choice of words, how to say, but what to say. And James grew up in earshot of a brother who was never at fault. Instead, everything he said was perfect. His words were as fresh water. But the truth is, uh, much of what he heard seemed to be lost on James during his formative years. And he certainly wasn't at the front of the crowds that would later come to listen to Jesus' preaching. So it's all the more remarkable that the first person Jesus specifically chose to go visit after his resurrection was James. What words did Jesus then speak? We know they weren't words of judgment. They were words that brought the forgiveness of sins, including forgiveness for the faithless words James himself had previously spoken, which had been to his shame. These were words that now enabled James to step into the freedom of serving Jesus, not merely as his brother, but as his Lord and his God. Yet these words that came to James from the mouth of Jesus seem to be lacking in the mouths of his fellow teachers. More than that, they seem to be suffering from total disorientation. Whereas Jesus proclaimed what James refers to in this letter as the law that gives freedom and heavenly wisdom, many teachers were preaching a law that brings condemnation or earthly wisdom. That is, words were being employed to opposite ends. It's like my directing that shopper west along Oxford Street when I should have directed her east. Only it is far more serious when a teacher in the church does this. Verse 1, Not many of you should become teachers, my fellow believers, because you know that we who teach will be judged more strictly. Or to put it as, Jesus himself puts it in Matthew chapter 7. Do not judge, or you too will be judged. For in the same way as you judge others, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Now, there are many forces at work in this world, but there is surely no more powerful force that a human being can unleash on this earth than the words of our tongue. A person speaks, on average, 20,000 words a day. That is, 20,000 opportunities to give life or bring death, to bring freedom or work destruction. Let's see how James unpacks this for us. 
Our words can lead to freedom in Christ. They can do a lot of good. The greatest good. Look there at verse 3. When we put bits into the mouths of horses to make them obey us, we can turn the whole animal. Our tongues are being likened to a bit in the mouth of a horse. We might have imagined it way beyond our power to change the direction of an animal as sturdy as a horse. Surely, surely it will always simply head off in any direction it itself chooses to go. But this little thing called a bit makes all the difference. It's disproportionately powerful. By it, a person can turn the whole animal. As a parallel to this, think of that person set upon a particular direction in life, one that is leading them away from Jesus, a trajectory which we imagine we could never influence. But then we haven't reckoned on how disproportionately powerful the words of our tongues are. A timely word of teaching, rebuking, correcting, or training, or more likely accumulation of such timely words, really can serve to turn the whole person towards Jesus. Look then. At verse 4. Or take ships as an example. Although they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are steered by a very small rudder wherever the pilot wants it to go. Our tongues are now likened to the uh, rudder of a ship. Even more than with a horse, we might imagine that it is way beyond our power to change the direction of a large ship at sea. Not now because of the willfulness of the ship, but because of the buffeting of strong winds. Surely, surely a ship will only go where that outside influence makes it go. But this little thing called a rudder still makes a disproportionate difference. It is disproportionately powerful. By it, the pilot can steer the ship. Think of that person caught up in the storms of life, being blown and tossed every which way by the wind, in danger of ending up far from Jesus. We might despair of ever seeing any stability in their situation. Then again, we haven't reckoned with how disproportionately powerful the words of our tongues really are. Timely words spoken into the midst of even the worst storm are powerful to steer a person towards Jesus. Surely, this is the end to which we'd all love to channel our words, pointing people to freedom in Christ. 
Yet I wonder how many of my 20,000 words do that. Our words can lead to freedom in Christ, but our words may lead to destruction in hell. They can do a lot of harm, the greatest harm. Verse 5, consider what a great forest is set on fire by a small spark. The tongue also is a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole body, sets the whole course of one's life on fire, and is itself set on fire by hell. Instead of preaching, the Lord gives freedom. Among the teachers James is addressing are those who are instead preaching what we could call a law that brings condemnation. The wisdom that comes down from heaven in and with Jesus is that by which the humble are lifted up and the proud brought low. But these teachers are yet content with the way society more usually arranges itself following conventional and all-too-earthly wisdom. They have set themselves up as judges who are not slow to condemn. Sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. That old nursery rhyme simply isn't true. Words that deal death are no less powerful than those that give life. Words that condemn and so destroy are no less powerful than those that forgive and so bring freedom. And the words we speak will serve to condemn us, even as we seek to condemn others. Has anyone been arrested by the police recently? You probably wouldn't be here if you have, but um, if you have you will have heard these words spoken to you. You do not have to say anything, but anything you do say may be given in evidence. Who of us isn't aware of how easily we every day incriminate ourselves by our words? By them, verse 6, we're not only in danger of destroying our own lives, but also of destroying the lives of others around us. And the teacher in the church who sets aside Jesus' teaching for any other teaching may quickly burn the whole church down. We don't have to guess what James is referring to when he speaks of our tongues as a fire, a world of evil. He gives us various examples across this letter. A first is discrimination back there in chapter 2, verse 3. By saying to the poor man, sit on the floor by my feet, they are setting themselves up as judges with evil thoughts demeaning God's likeness in another person. There is slander in 
chapter 4, verse 11. By deliberately sharing damaging information to humiliate and destroy, the slanderer is setting themselves above the law. Boasting is a third example there in chapter 4, verse 13. That's conveying the idea that you occupy a better, higher, freer position in life than those around you. In chapter 5, verse 9, we read, Don't grumble against one another, or you will be judged. Grumbling. At its simplest, grumbling is anger on simmer mode. It acts as a corrosive to all who are within earshot and leaves us bitter with everyone and everything. Deceit is given as a fifth example. See chapter 5 verse 12. Not letting yes mean yes or no mean no when you speak those words. Such a person has a slippery relationship with truth. Yet we are called to be people of truth. And only where there is truth can there be trust. Discrimination, slander, boasting, grumbling, deceit. Of course, the teachers have no monopoly on these. And to be perfectly truthful with ourselves and with one of one one another, each of us knows that our tongue has been an instrument of hell more than it has been an instrument of heaven. Our words can lead to freedom, but our words may lead to destruction. Why is it that our tongues most readily work to destroy. Well, we're brought to the heart of the issue there in verse 12. My brothers and sisters, can a fig tree bear olives or a grapevine bear figs? Neither can a salt spring produce fresh water. The heart of This issue is an issue of the heart. There was an occasion on which some Pharisees came to Jesus and slandered him, uh, seeking to humiliate him and destroy his healing ministry. Jesus said to them, You brood of vipers, how can you who are evil say anything good? For... The mouth speaks what the heart is full of. A good man brings good things out of the good stored up in him. And an evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in him. The mouth speaks what the heart is full of. 
Which is it for us? Salt water or fresh water? Today, most of our homes are probably running on Thames water. Who knows about tomorrow? (laughs) When it comes to our words, we're all running on one supplier or another. James would have us become proactive in disconnecting the salt water supply by connecting us to a certain and inexhaustible fresh water supply. Where? Some verses from chapter 1 are key. These um, describe for us the basic practice that you and I need to build into our lives. That is, if we're to live out any of what James is calling us to in this letter. And uh, most certainly, if our words are to be as fresh water, not salt water. Words of grace instead of words of judgment. Chapter 1, verse 23 Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in a mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they have heard but doing it, They will be blessed in what they do. Well, here's a mirror. When I look in a mirror, it doesn't make much of an impression upon me. uh, But what I see there has left enough of an impression on the retinas of my eyes that when I go on my way, I remember what I look like. I remember what the mirror has shown me of who I am. Yet our relationship with mirrors can be a bit complicated. Some of us may love what we see. Um, Some of us may hate what is reflected back at us. Uh, Some of us will be delighted by such a glimpse of beauty. (laughs) Others will be distraught at seeing our blemishes close up. Well, the good news for all of us is we have a far better mirror to hold up to our lives. The Bible. It tells me all All I need to know about who I truly am without deceiving me. The question is, are you and I gazing into this perfect law which gives freedom with enough consistency that it makes a lasting impression upon us? By impression, uh, think the impress of a stamp on a wax seal or, or a tattoo 
on an arm. Only this is a still deeper impression upon the very heart. Having read God's word, when I then uh, uh, step out into my day, do I retain what it has told me about who I am? Or does it all too quickly wear off? We all need to keep coming back to it again and again. The challenge is our relationship with the Bible can itself be a bit complicated, as it is with a glass mirror. Sometimes when we look into it, the lasting impression you're left with is having seen even more blemishes even closer up. Well, the Bible doesn't deceive. But if that's the only impression it has yet left, then you are not looking into it intently enough. You need to go on looking into the law that gives freedom until it has impressed upon you how deeply loved, how fully forgiven, how securely embraced you now are in Jesus. The one true judge who speaks to us through this book could have condemned us, Yet nothing today delights Jesus more than to speak his forgiveness into our lives and to welcome us home, just as he did for his brother James. One of the things I'm most struck by in reading this letter is how James speaks with the same accent as Jesus. Uh, By that, I don't mean Galilean. That's a given. But Jesus' words have left such a deep impression upon him that James employs language in a similar way, making use of, of similar imagery, always speaking to a similar end. People often ask me where I get my accent from. If only... If only the answer were, I get it from Jesus. His words put a new song in our mouths, flowing from a new language in our hearts. We start to speak with a new accent. Our own words will no longer be salt water, but fresh water instead. We'll no longer set ourselves up as judges, quick to condemn those around us. We'll climb down from the judge's stall, resigning that office, which was never ours, knowing how much and how fully we have been forgiven. We'll now find ourselves free to forgive others. Indeed, Instead of saying to any person, sit on the floor by my feet, we'll find ourselves saying, let me sit on the floor by yours. 
Amen.